breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back, everybody. Another episode of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. Hope we're all having a great week. Yes, we will survive the election of 2020. And uh, yeah, we made it through another debate. It actually happened this time. We'll touch on some points today about the debate between Vice President Biden and President Trump. And uh, we'll follow up a little bit about uh, what's been happening in France with regards to the ISIS trial uh, of those that aided and abetted the terrorists that committed the heinous act on the Charlie Hebdo magazine in 2015 and the recent beheading only a few weeks ago of the teacher, Samuel. And we'll talk about where France is and a few of the topics that have come up in their country in response and some of the typical responses to from Islamists across the planet, which tells us how much work we have to do. We'll look at some of the foreign policy questions that came out of the debate, which I'm sure many of you said there was no foreign policy. Yeah, but actually there was a few things uh, to mention. And lastly, a shout out to Messiah Adinejad, an unbelievable hero heroine of uh, uh, the Iranian people. Freedom, free speech, my stealthy freedom, as she calls it, and the plight of her family. So first, let's get caught up and talk about this situation in France. Believe it or not, the rector of the Grand Mosque of Paris not only condemned the beheading, which obviously any rational, sentient human being would do, but condemned calls to boycott French products coming from, quote, what he said, those who have always instrumentalized Islam for political ends, unquote. He urged vigilance in the face of dishonest propaganda. We're starting to see some Muslim leadership rise up to the occasion, and it sort of shows you what happens in a country where the leadership, President Macron on down, begin to have a verbal honesty when it comes to identifying political Islam, Islamism, as a separatist ideology, which he's done repeatedly and now did last week. And once you do that, you start to realize which Muslim leaders are with you and which are apologists. And sure enough, it took no time little but no time before the president of the quasi-Islamist Sharia stronghold of Pakistan, based on a Islamist identity, the Islamic Republic of Pakistan, though they have they claim a secular government based on a military government. Imran Khan, the soccer player, Come Islamist apologist said, It is unfortunate that Macron has chosen to encourage Islamophobia by attacking Islam rather than the terrorists who carry out violence, be it Muslims, white supremacists, or Nazi ideologists. Sadly, Macron has chosen to deliberately provoke Muslims, including his own citizens. <laughs> this is so classic. And this is what we're up against, ladies and gentlemen, is... You have a guy who leads one of the one of the most radicalizing, 
institutions, governments, countries on the planet, a country based on an ideology that it needed to separate from the its origins from India because it had to form an Islamic state. That is, by definition, penultimate political Islam. And be it Khan, be it any of the presidents before him, every one of them has paid homage to the Jamaat Islamiyah party, the Islamists, and has allowed blasphemy laws, Sharia, to become part of the culture, part of the establishment in Pakistan. Reformers like Malala Yousafzai, who has become a hero, a heroine in the leadership of Muslim women rights and, and universal human rights across the planet is testimony to the fact that those who speak out on wanting to be educated, wanting to be equal, will be shot, will be attacked, and the government will simply defend them after the fact. They, they create and foster a, a, a culture of violence, if you will. And Imran Khan does that vicariously against other governments, as he did now here against Macron. And it shows you. So the, the establishment will defend the Islamists as being the representatives of Muslims. But the reformers, the modernists, those who want to live in the 21st century, defend genuine truth, defend honesty, defend universal human rights and a realistic approach to the reality of what is the ideology of the majority of Muslims globally. So when the rector of the Grand Mosque of Paris speaks out condemning the boycott of French products, condemning the fact that that boycott stems from a politicization of Islam, to read between the lines, he's obviously condemning the Muslim Brotherhood networks. He's obviously condemning the Islamist networks and speaking directly against what radicals like Imran Khan that radicalizes millions of Muslims across the planet says from his bully pulpit of the presidency of Pakistan. And then, what do we have going on in the West? Well, in the West here, we have the Washington Post journalist. Remember the Washington Post? The Washington Post that identified al-Baghdadi as an austere, austere cleric. Yeah. The Washington Post, James McCauley, the Paris correspondent for the entire paper, notes in his report on what Macron is doing, said, instead of fighting systemic racism, the president of France, France wants to reform Islam. When talking about Samuel Paty, the teacher, a French history teacher, was beheaded by an Islamist for showing cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad during a class discussion on freedom of expression. He said France needs to act decisively to dismantle Islamist separatism within its borders. So Macaulay uses that wonderful quotation from President Macron to say that somehow that means that Macron wants to reform Islam. So it's not Macron that wants to reform Islam. The rector of the Grand Mosque of Paris condemned political Islam. Many Muslim leaders, our reform movement, our Muslim reform movement condemns political Islam and wants to move beyond 
the nonsense, the heinous radicalization that happens at the at the hands of the separatist ideas that is about the Islamic state identity, about Sharia law taking prominence, about the fact that their law is only that the only source is the Quran and not common or secular law. All of these things create a separatist movement that radicalize Muslims, that create the type of radicals like the 18-year-old that beheaded the French teacher as the trial went on of those that were supporting the ISIS attack on Charlie Hebdo in 2015. But that trial is happening now, and that's why the attack happened again. Two attacks in the last few weeks, by the way, in Paris as this trial goes on. But so many points to be learned here. There's a, there's a veritable clinic that we see happening about radical Islam as this trial goes on, with the president, the government, a leader in the secular and a secular liberal democracy saying, you know what, if you're Muslim, welcome to France, welcome to Paris, but you must abandon the ideology of separatism. You must believe in our societal morals, in our societal constitutional pact, if you will, and abandon political Islam and actually work against it. So it's not Macron. He's just demanding that of every citizen like he would. But James McCauley, we see the media apologize, as Ezra Nomani points out in her piece on the Honor Brigade from many years ago, but she tweeted this week to McCauley telling him to wise up that he's doing the big the bidding of the Honor Brigade. What is the Honor Brigade? Those are the ones like the Qataris, the Erdogans of Turkey, the royal family of Qatar, the Khomeinis of Iran, who believe that anyone who criticizes Anyone who criticizes political Islam is criticizing all of Islam because the Prophet Muhammad was not only a messenger but a political leader. He ran an Islamic state, etc. So this is baked in the DNA of Islam. We reject that. Reformers in the 21st century reject that. There was no secular liberal democracy in the 7th century. So to hold up Islam to the political Islamist foundations yes many of us said that if you define political islam as an islamic state which it is then the prophet muhammad was an islamist but there was no other system to compare it to it's not what the prophet muhammad did in the seventh century but what would he do if he were around today and i believe he would abandon political islam and say that it's time to come into the 21st century that we are one ummah universally all human all humanity and all human beings and that ummah state Political entities is not related to our faith identity, but related to our national identity under a secular constitution. I believe he would embrace religious freedom. That's the debate. And the journalists of the woke culture of the Washington Post want to tell us that the presidents of the West should not be telling Muslims to have that conversation, should not engage anti-Islamist Muslims, but should rather allow the Islamists, the old establishment of the last 1400 years of Islam, to take the mantle, to own the mantle of what it is to be Muslim or not Muslim, what it is to be reform. You know, Yusuf Qardawi, the leading spiritual demagogue and cleric of the brotherhood movements the islamists if you will he talks about reform but his reform is a modernization of political islam 3.0 4.0 into the 21st century while 
the separation of mosque and state, abandons the Islamists like Qardawi out of Qatar and Al Jazeera, abandons them and tells them they are wrong, they are archaic, they are demonizing, radicalizing Muslims and Islam because they are supremacist. So it's time to begin to call them out. President Macron does that, and France, to its credit, is beginning to have this debate. Now, France, to not its credit, is not going beyond. It's not putting investment into lifting up reformist Muslims. It's not investing into marginalizing the Islamists. It's simply having a rhetorical debate about it. And they need to go beyond the rhetoric. Macron needs to respond to Imran Khan. Macron needs to create a council that's not dominated by Islamists, but rather by folks like the rector of the Grand Mosque of Paris, who's called against that boycott of French products, which is being called by Islamists throughout Europe, because they're upset with how frank Macron has been. It's time for journalists to be called out, like the heinous reporting of James McCauley from the Washington Post, who again invoked this identity politics and brought in language related in his reporting on France about systemic racism and other things as if that's all that matters is the agenda of attacking the right and somehow everything revolves along the axis of the way the Black Lives Matter, the Antifa folks see the world. And I'm sorry, it's not always just that way. And the lens for the Muslim population and our various communities, you saw Vice President Biden this week in the debate invoke about how President Trump uh, did a Muslim ban. <laughs> how about I say, say back to Biden? Come on, man. It's not, that's propaganda. Six countries that have authoritarian regimes who we can't trust on vetting anything. And the fact that uh, they may be exporting terrorists and others, that's not about being Muslim. 56 countries have Muslim majorities. Only six were included, and those were the authoritarian regimes, nothing related to democracies or anything. And yet he still pushed the propaganda that somehow there's a Muslim ban. And Macaulay continues at the Washington Post identifying what the French president did this week and says as somehow being about systemic racism. Enough is enough. We need to call out the journalists. We need to begin to have platform for reformers. And as Ezra Nomani says, the honor brigade of the Islamists needs to be marginalized or at least give others a seat at the table and realize that when a president, I mean, this is even against Macron, who's no right-wing conservative when it comes to American standards of what the way we view left and right in America. But the Islamists have such a stranglehold on what it is and how it is to treat the Muslim community's diverse ideas the Samuel Petties. And that there can even be a hope for diversity of ideas. To them, diversity is all about racial identity, national origin, which are things that nobody can really change. Diversity actually in society, in a free liberal society, is about ideological diversity and beyond tolerance, but an equal value of thought. And right now, when it comes to journalism, the Islamist talking points is what every woke newspaper, pundit, journalists, quote-unquote, 
is pushing as the ideas of American Muslims in the West. And uh, it's time to start to marginalize the honor brigade, which thinks somehow talking about Islam, even if we're making it clear it's about political Islam and Islamism is somehow offensive to Muslims. It's not. We're going to defend free speech as Americans, as French, as Brits, as Germans, as Canadians, because we know that our sisters or brothers in Saudi Arabia and Iran and Afghanistan eventually want the same. I say eventually because we know that even revolutions don't always end better than they started. So eventually, though, many of them, as they are brought to terms with the 21st century, and I want to transition into a conversation about there's a, a wonderful, wonderful woman who is a just an, an exemplary human being who's doing unbelievable work. Her, her name is Messiah Elina Jad. She was on BBC this week talking about the plight, the plight of her brother, of her family. And she has founded so many movements online, whether it's hashtag United for Navid, hashtag White Wednesdays, or the one known about most about the freedom for, for liberation, for women's rights, my stealthy freedom. And she's very active on social media. And she gave an unbelievable interview this week to the BBC in which she talked about the fact that the regime has done exactly what it's done to every, like every authoritarian Islamist dictatorship does across the Middle East. We saw it in Syria with Assad and what he did, bolstered by Iran, constantly getting families against families. And she started to um, hear that her brother, who's been taken under arrest for now over a year and in prison, is being told that maybe his other siblings and or his other family cousins and stuff can can lure her into, wait for it, Turkey. Yes, they can lure her into Turkey so that the government can have a conversation with her about what she's doing. Obviously, she's having an impact. She's constantly talking about the, the authoritarian nature, abusive nature in the prisons, on the streets, against women, and all that is done in Tehran, on the streets of every city in Iran, in the name of Islam, calling for everything to be bought. You'll hear a phrase from her that it's time for us and Iran to, bring, to come to the 20th, 21st century. And the wrestler that was killed, executed, Naveed, she wants to bring attention that, that Iran be ousted from every international sports event as a result of what it did to the wrestler. And I'm with her. Every chance we get to call out the evil that's done by the Islamists of Iran, to continue to sanction them, to continue to corner them, because sanctions work, contrary to what you heard constantly on the, on the stump from Vice President Biden, who wants to bring us back to the era in which the Obama administration was handing hundreds of billions of dollars to Iran that facilitated their fuel of genocide against the Sunnis in Syria, against the Kurds, against 
for colonizing Iraq and taking away all the gains that our blood and treasure from America provided the liberation of Iraq. And that's all lost now as Iraq was handed over to Iran that all of a sudden had the money and the wherewithal and the ability to send troops, arms, and offensives into Iraq, Syria, and Lebanon. But now since the sanctions, they've been able to do less. People are in the streets saying, that money shouldn't go to Syria, it should come here. They're thankful for the sanctions because they know that has ratcheted down the ability of the Iranian regime to do bad. So to those who say that somehow sanctions hurt the people, that is nonsense. The government's going to take out its will on the people, whether they get less money or more money. It doesn't matter. It's going to use them and abuse them. It won't open up society as they get more money. And as Boeing and, and others were no longer able to set up in Tehran, do you think that that would have been a good thing? Look at China. And China actually is probably not as good as an example just because of the ability of that regime there to separate out some free market aspects, though they don't have a free market, as we know. It's a kleptocracy. But yet they have opened over the past many decades. But I don't know how much good it's done. But again, Middle Eastern regimes and tyrannies are vastly different than the culture of China. It's still, I think, rather saddening to see Vice President Biden describe climate change as an existential threat existential threat to humanity, but not the Chinese Communist Party, as Josh Hammer said on Twitter. Sort of odd thing that the left doesn't see the Chinese as an existential threat to humanity, to the West, to freedom, as they copy everything from us and as they continue to manipulate propaganda and other aspects of information wars, economic wars against us. So, hats off. A shout-out to Masih Alinejad from Iran, from Iran in her interviews this week with the BBC and her ongoing tireless heroic work to defend those who we should all be defending in the West. And in her interview, she made a point. She said, where are the Western governments? Why are you ignoring the plight of people like Naveed that have been assassinated, that have been, that have been executed by the regime? It's time to bring attention to that. President Reagan used to, from the White House, identify and name a Soviet dissident every press conference he could. And the Trump administration, to its credit, has done heads and shoulders more than the Obama administration did at all for the plight of those seeking freedom in Iran, but it could do more. It could augment, amplify the plight of families like Messiah, who in her response to the regime said, in her tears, said, you can threaten my family in Iran, you can do whatever you all please, but we will, the righteous will respond. My family does not respond to terror, does not respond to intimidation, and their hearts will come together and unite, she said, against the regime, because they're not going to silence those inside or outside Iran from speaking the truth to power.
God bless her. I want to follow up one of the stories. Remember we talked about Rukmini Kalamachi, who the woke police are coming after, the New York Times terrorist correspondent on terrorism. She's been fantastic, amazing, has done amazing work on ISIS and released thousands, I think 16,000 pages of of documentation of the reality of what ISIS was teaching and, and doing in Syria and where it's where its ideology came from and how it was spreading and then how it began to wither. And the Islamic establishment tried to prevent it. And now we see, as Ezra Nomani points out, the woke police are gunning for Rukmini Kalachi. They want her fired because she reports on Islam and Islamist on the Islam and Islamist extremism. Folks need to have her back. They need to have her back. Come on. (laughs) Journalists make mistakes, and then they issue corrections. So if she had a bad source, issue a correction. But no, the Islamists want the entire story pulled, just like they tried to prevent the ISIS papers from being published that she played a pivotal role in releasing. They want to make sure this story is buried, even though it's been out there now for years. And her podcast called The Caliphate and others, they want that stopped because it is really eroding. It is having an impact. And this is why I tell you, you know, people say, where are the million Muslim march? We don't need million Muslims. We need 50 to 100 to 200 aggressive, smart reporters, dissidents, reformers, Muslims who understand what Islamism is to report on it. And slowly it will die on the vine. Political Islam will die as will its power structures because it doesn't have truth. It doesn't have rational uh, coherence and it doesn't have any synergy with Western principles and morals. So it will die on the vine just from a few hundred of us speaking up and then the rest will come last let's talk briefly about the debate the debate that happened between biden and president trump they didn't talk much about foreign policy but on the one hand as i mentioned we saw vice president biden try to push the trope that somehow there was a muslim ban as I mentioned to you before, that is complete nonsense. Ban of, of, and a stop for a short period of time of immigration from countries like Somalia, Syria, Iran, that could be significant strongholds of radical Islamists. Yes, there's folks seeking freedom coming from there, but until we understood what's happening, I mean, even President Carter at the time of the hostage crisis stopped immigration from Iran. And then, as Biden was criticizing President Trump on his position on Korea, North Korea, and what he did, he said, he quoted and said that, well, you know, we had good relations with Hitler. We had a good relationship with Hitler. Even the the woke artists at Time Magazine called out President, Vice President Biden for that statement. We did not have a good relationship with Hitler. 
they they tried to defend it and backtrack somewhat and say, oh, it was complicated, etc. That is complete nonsense. And it sort of shows you that, you know, uh, how much it's simply about scoring points. Simply about scoring points. And I, I found it just astonishing that President Trump did not find an opportunity to mention the UAE-Israel Accords, to mention the Bahrain Accords, to mention what happened the next day and say even tee up what was going to happen with Sudan. That this brought a new era into the Middle East, that there might be a Trump doctrine that might evolve even after his presidency to say that a separation of the Palestinian and delinkage of the Palestinian-Israeli crisis could then bring about a bigger peace to allow evolution of the Arab mindset into the 21st century and modernization of thought of political Islam against Islamism and its inherent anti-Semitism and thus a defense of the state of Israel as we're seeing in the pulpits now in the UAE and Bahrain and elsewhere, which is really a new reform that we've not seen. And I think the biggest most telling point, which now they say is going to put Pennsylvania and Texas in play, was when Vice President President Biden said that he was going to destroy the oil industry, that he was going to transition from the oil industry, which effectively means destroy it. Now, he tried to walk it back and say that it was, you know, the next day his team put out releases trying to escape from the the moment of lucidity that he had there in which he explained what he was really going to do. And I tweeted immediately. I said, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, they're saying across the Middle East, if Biden's elected president, the United States will transition from the petrol industry and will leave it to the OPEC, the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, and especially the Islamist ones, be it in the Gulf or wherever it may be. That's one of our biggest security threats, right? If that is, energy independence is the way to snuff that out, is the way to push them into alternative energies so that they can begin to use their population for their minds and not simply because they have natural resources over there, and to give them economic dominance over us as they then manipulate that to do things like drive organizations, terror groups like Al-Qaeda, ISIS, and otherwise. Yes, this is transitioning now thanks to Trump administration's policies, but fracking and other aspects of the oil industry and oil independence, yes. And President Trump answered it actually brilliantly. <laughs> you have to admit, when he talked, they asked him about climate change, and he responded. He said, it's not a jobs program. Yes, we want clean air, clean water. This is what every American wants. But you don't destroy businesses by doing that. That the engine of American ingenuity is our business. Small businesses, large businesses, it is the engine of our ingenuity. And you don't destroy the oil industry. And he asked if Texans, if Pennsylvanians and others were listening to Vice President Biden when he noted that he was going to destroy that industry. 
That's not going to play well with the average with the average American citizen in those states and any state that is part of the oil industry. Now, I've also been one to be very much against appeasement and 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 our sycophancy with foreign oil. But the way to abandon that is to have domestic independence, is to have independence from foreign oil, is to allow them to grow and create more alternative energies. Yes, companies like Tesla and others are the future. Why do you think the Saudis are investing in companies like Lucid, which is also an electric company? But boy, it shows you that the Bidenistas and others are all in with empowering foreign oil countries, empowering those that are Islamists, monarchs and otherwise that basically, if you look at what products their countries are producing, it's only oil. They have no incentive to produce anything else because their entire, uh, they can feed every citizen with their oil rather than with free markets, property rights, and otherwise that would allow them to open up into capitalism, into, into freedom and liberty. That will come, but they need to be isolated. They, we need energy independence, and Biden made it clear in the debate that he didn't even understand that, let alone care about it. And Obama did repeatedly too, when you're handing countries like Iran hundreds of billions of dollars, when you're alienating our old allies of the 20th century, as Obama did, the entire narrative of the Obama-Biden era was a failure. And I think they proved it this week in the debate. All right, a lot to talk about, folks. Always great to be with all of you. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're safe. We will walk through the pre-election, peri-election, and post-election time and talk about the issues that relate to this program, that relate to reformation. And I'll keep you updated on the things that aren't on the front page that you should know about if you care about not only what a quarter of the world's population, Muslims, are thinking or doing and what their threat might be or might not be, but what their progress is, what their, what their revolutions are doing, but also how it relates to us in America, how it relates to how we approach your neighbors, your friends at work and elsewhere. Because most change, as we've seen in the last century, starts here whether it's economically, scientifically. Look at the vaccines now that are going to be treating COVID. Are those necessarily coming from other regimes? I don't think so. They're going to come from the democracy, the, the, the republic that is the United States of America. All right, yes, and obviously some of those c companies doing that work do have places in Europe and elsewhere. But again, it's all about what the West, freedom and democracy, and our security depends on economic independence. All right, we'll talk next week. It's great being with you. Find me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.